Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Ready. Ready. Hi, Candace. Hi, Annie. Welcome back to Out of Line. How you doing? I'm full. Just had a lovely Thai food dinner. This is one of the first episodes we're recording together in person, sitting I'm, in the same room. I'm looking at you. Looking at you. <laughs> it's actually like awkward after all the years of just Zooming. I have yeah. to look at you. Um, so what are we going to talk about this episode? Talk about our founder story, why we left the system. And how we fell in love. (laughs) Our love story. People ask me all the time how we met. And it's funny because like many unschoolers these days, I feel like, but we were living in the same town, but we met online. We met through Instagram. And it was a long time ago, which makes it like different because there wasn't so much online like community back then. Right. Um. Yeah. And we met because we were both starting to realize that there needed to be a shift in systems of education. I was working in the early childhood field, childcare and preschools, um, which obviously has gotten even more attention since the pandemic, but has always had a really high rate of turnover among employees. I think um, when I was in the field, it was like 30 to 40% ter- uh, turnover rate in a year. Um, I don't know what it is now. I don't, I think maybe statistically it's about the same, but I know so many childcare centers have closed just by lack of staffing. Um, and so I had gotten into realizing that uh, staff and faculty and teachers, educators, needed support. And, and at the time it was kind of like the self-care movement was just starting, but we also were realizing that we needed to create communities of care where teachers could come and be supported and, um, quality of life was important. So Mm -hmm. certainly like millennials came along and I'm on the top of the millennial bubble. So I, I can claim it sometimes, but I like the younger millennials, especially were like, we're not working this hard for for what? (laughs) So force it to, um, start taking care of each other in, in other ways in emotional ways and social ways. Um, so I was teaching that, that teachers doing a lot of teacher trainings on, and, and directors, how to take care of your staff better. And you were doing something kind of similar. Yeah. So I was doing, well, I was working, I was in English uh, as a second language teacher, but I was also, doing um, a nonprofit that I started called Minds on Mats, which is bringing yoga into schools and training teachers how to use yoga in their classroom. So um, it was a curriculum I used through Yoga Ed. Yeah, and I was doing the same. I was using a lot of yoga and mindfulness in my teacher training. So we connected on that and that was like our first piece of it, right? Which now we've seen Mm -hmm. and we've 
kind of question and sorted out our role in it, right. Of, of, um, how sometimes mindfulness and yoga and things like that are kind of weaponized against kids. Like mm-hmm. you can't control yourself, sit down and meditate. <laughs> it's a yeah. yeah. I used to do, um, yoga classes at the school I was working at and I would do, you know, I had them a few times a day and the teacher started sending the kids to yoga instead of recess. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not, mm. this is not the reason we're doing this. <laughs> if there's a hill I'll die on, it's the hill against recess as punishment removal of <laughs> making people stand against the wall, whatever. Oh, making people go to a yoga class instead of recess. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, that's, that's hysterical. Um, but I think, and then as our relationship continued to develop, we, we just kept talking. You, um, when we first met, you had like a one month old and I had like Mm -hmm. a six month old and I don't think I had stepped foot in a a K eight building in a really long time. I knew it wasn't great when my oldest got to kindergarten is when I was like, Whoa, this is way farther off course than I realized. And I had been working uh, by that time for years with early childhood educators who valued play and put play first and put exploration, like true hands-on, messy, dirty, gunky play first. And um, at the time, the message was like, okay, we can only do what we can do in early childhood and let the schools figure out what to do with school-age kids. And if they're wrong, they're wrong, but here's our world. But we know early childhood goes through at least age eight in our country, we consider it. Um, So that's third grade for most kids. So really the K first, second, third grades are at a disadvantage because they're not being treated like early childhood right off the bat. So I think we continued to dream aloud about what education could look like. Yeah. I still wasn't like, I didn't know anything about unschooling. I'm still very much like in the school world. So we talked a lot about like Montessori. (laughs) Waldorf. I had just started teaching at a Waldorf inspired uh, forest school program. And that was where I first really came across unschooling. And I remember one day hearing a parent describe it to another parent. Somebody was like, well, we don't really homeschool. We unschool. And the other parent was like, well, tell me more about that. And they were like, we just let them do whatever they want. And I was like, Ooh, and I knew their kids and their kids were not really kids. I wanted to be around. They just like, weren't, uh, considerate people. And like, they were just kind of jerks, which is, you know, not because they were kids, but because of like who they were and how they were, um, learning to have operate with such license in the world. Right. And Mm -hmm. I just, it's like, this isn't really something I want to be part of. So I actually had a pretty negative opinion of the term unschooling without really understanding what it was based on just um, what I saw of, of some, some form of unschooling. Right. And I started, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's that. But yeah, we, we talked about Montessori at that time, the, um, a big documentary about the ACEs, adverse childhood experiences and trauma and the effects of trauma on um, children and adults. Uh, a big documentary had come out and I watched that and I was like, oh, I'm going to open a family trauma center where it's like high quality early childhood. And we are in Michigan. There's not, um, kindergarten is not compulsory here. So 
I was like, oh, it'll be great. We'll go through kindergarten and then they get to first grade and they can go to school. But we also like had real life parameters. Like I wasn't working at the time. I was a consultant. I was working for myself because we had just moved and I just had a baby, but you had a job Mm -hmm. that you relied on. Yeah. Like very demanding job. And yeah, I was like, you know, bringing home half the income and it was a big deal to leave and pension and retirement yeah. and healthcare. Like, I feel like these mm. are so many of the reasons most people don't leave education. Yeah. And I remember talking with, you know, I was really stressed and really not loving life. I just wasn't in a good place. I was talking with a, um, a life coach and she would just like talk to me through it and she's like so so what like <laughs> you know so actually sit down and look at the numbers and I you know because I just carried the fear of like how much would it cost how much would I lose and really it wasn't that much and I did have another friend I talked to about it and she said well there's always another job I'm like that is so true right like there is always another job if it doesn't work out And you're qualified and experienced and educated. And so, yeah, Yeah. you have that privilege also to walk away knowing that you're a pretty employable person. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also had a gusto that really impressed me because I was like, I'm going to open a school one day, but like never had any real intentions to follow through on what that meant. And I remember at the time we met at like a little public pool with our kids and we talked about it all day. And then I was like, oh, there's a building nearby that what used to be a school building that's for sale. And you had like called me the next day. You're like, I called and inquired about it and it's this much money. And I think I might have an investor. And I was like, well, I wasn't serious. I just mentioned it. (laughs) I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. That's literally what I do though. But, and I think like many people in this world, um, major life changes kind of need to happen in order for, um, a lens to shift. Right. So in, uh, 2019, we, my husband and I lost his sister, my sister-in-law, which was a devastating loss for us, but it also like really helped me step back. Sorry. I cry in almost every episode. Um, but I, it helped me step back and it helped me realize that life is really short and really unpredictable. And, um, I walked away from the job I was in because I wasn't fully connecting with it. And I needed to focus more on my family and my home life and figure out what was right for me. So I stepped way back and slowed way down. And I think that was really where my like deep de-schooling started, um, And then in January, I met with a friend of yours who I had been like online friends with, but not had never met in person. And they were inquiring about my, my children were at the neighborhood public school and they were inquiring about what that was like and curious about that experience. And as we talked, that person was like, oh yeah, Candace, she's got a school. She's starting. And I was like, oh, she's leaving me behind. (laughs) But I called you like the next day, right? You did. You <laughs> called me like the next day and you're like, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. And I was like, oh, you do. <laughs> and then the next day I saw ads for your school yeah. <laughs> on my Facebook feed. And I was like, do you know anything about this? You're like, actually, that's what I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so yeah, January, 2020, it started. And then like, yeah. I got the call from you, I think 
really it like beginning, it was, it was literally like the first week of the shutdown in March, 2020. And you're like, all right, I'm going forward with this. Do you want to be with, do this with me? And I was like, yes, <laughs> got off the phone, told my husband, we were going to open a school. And he was like, okay. Like it started asking me like very basic logistical questions. Like, are you guys partnering in it? Are you working for her? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, are you renting a space or buying a space? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just want to be part of it. <laughs> We're just opening a school. All right. That's just it. <laughs> I'm not worried about the details. It'll all come together. That's like my answer to most of my life. But yeah. And I met you at the building. We, we ended up opening in um, for a fire inspector visit. And it was like, <clears throat> yeah, funny funny, funny, funny. Cause yeah. we were walking an unfamiliar building with a fire inspector. And like, I think it was my very first outing in a mask I'd picked up from my neighbor who had made it and left it on her front porch. Like what a weird and wild time that was. Oh my gosh. I think we still thought it was just going to be a few weeks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But what, I mean, you had a much more intense, like, I think I was already moving in that direction, being in early childhood and play and just being like, what the heck is happening in these schools? This is not cool. Mm-hmm. But you were in the schools. You were in public schools, charter schools, teacher, administrator. Yeah. What were some of the like moments that led to you being like really realizing that it wasn't what was, I don't know, what yeah, it was I, or wasn't. You tell me. Um, I feel like I really drank the charter school Kool-Aid for a while because <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, really into, into the like testing and making sure the kids are able to read 20 words a minute when they leave kindergarten, all that. Um, but then I had my son and just like watching him naturally grow up and like, you know, naturally, I didn't have to teach him to walk. I didn't have to teach him to eat food. He's naturally curious and learning. And I just started thinking like, um, where, where is he going to go to school? <laughs> and I was like, you know, he's not special. Like all children learn how to walk on their own. Right. And oh my gosh, that's yeah. Yeah. And so I remember thinking like, I would not send him to the school I'm working in. And so if I'm working here and supporting this school that I wouldn't even send my kid to, like, why is it okay for other kids to be here? And I just started thinking like, yeah, I could send him to a private school or whatever, but there's still other kids that need what I, I can give him or, you know, what he needs. Um, and then I had this big moment with my supervisor who I'm, this is kind of a tangent. So just kind of like, give me a sign if I'm going <laughs> off too much. <laughs> I'm I'm following along. So charter schools do this thing where they split up into like, we have urban schools and we have suburban schools. And our school, which was in the middle of the city, was a suburban school. And I was like, why? (laughs) We have maybe like an 8%, like 8% white population. The rest of the kids were mostly Hispanic and uh, Latinx black. And, um, you know, I said, why are we a suburban school? We're, we're in an urban area. And he said, well, because you, 
your your black population is under um, 30% because most of our kids were Hispanic. I was like, how does, what does that even matter? And he says, well, all of our urban schools, the black population is above 25, 30% because what we know is that black families don't care as much about their children's education. (laughs) It made me so sick Mm -hmm. and I was so upset and I got home and that was the day where I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is just like in, and the charter schools, you know, the good thing about charter schools is where the funding goes because the funding actually goes directly to the school. And there's no, at least in Michigan, and there's no like top down, trickle down, like, you know, superintendent specialists, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where public schools have a much uh, meteor admin Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we actually got a lot of funding at that charter school, but um, to where we were buying like a new science curriculum every say, year, like exactly. millions of dollars just out the window. You, you just, yeah, you had like a new <laughs> curriculum every year that teachers then had to learn. Like it wasn't like thoughtfully and intentionally put into <laughs> no. play, practice. Play. But yeah. So then they just funded the urban schools differently than the suburban schools, of course. And, you know, it's just, um, that's when I had to leave. That was actually like the week before I was like, all right, this is it. <laughs> It's the nail in the coffin. Oh, well, and you saw things and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Poor boar, Baird, Baird, bird <laughs> witness. <laughs> you were a witness <laughs> to like real atrocities sometimes, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to go into detail about them, but I mean, I think that was what was eye-opening to me going, sending my kids to a public school that was, um, you know, I didn't realize it when we chose it. And I didn't realize it until like a day before school, when another family told me that they weren't going back, um, and started talking to me about it, that that school also had like the student body population was 98% reflective of a global majority. So black and brown bodies, mostly, um, African-American and black students from neighborhoods around our neighborhood and in our neighborhood a little bit. Um, and Hispanic Latinx populations, um, we had become a language center. So kids who came into the schools, um, we have in our community, we have a large population of refugee and recent immigrants. Um, I think partially just because we have a lot of churches here, Mm -hmm. like we might have the most churches per capita in the country. I think we do. (laughs) Um, so it's interesting. It does that to the population. So it's any student testing into who come, who came into the public school district testing, um, below grade level at English and reading and writing, uh, started at our school, basically they landed. So they, it didn't matter if they were where they came from in within the city, but, um, these were also classes like, you know, I think one of the fourth or fifth grade classrooms the year I started had like 35 kids in it with one teacher and, and an ESL population and, you know, um, just, high ACEs scores, things like that. And then I'm watching just such punitive magic measures, like, you know, on recess, if somebody did something wrong or talking too loud in the hallway on the way to recess would require, then the punishment was you stood against the wall outside through the length of recess. So, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, freezing cold Michigan, February day, like, 
you're making like 60 kids, sometimes two or three classes at a time standing against a wall because they were loud in the hallway on the way to recess. Like, and yeah, it probably counted as recess for the day. So like we talk about the recess arguments and like, yeah, like, yes, they had recess technically that day, but like nobody was allowed to move and they were all freezing. They had fresh air. Brick wall. <laughs> yes, they had fresh air, but no, they're not treated like prisoners. Um, I think just like some of the, the, the uh, talking points that I had heard as kind of rhetoric or maybe um, just kind of outrageous talk, like I was actually seeing play out in practice and mm-hmm. um and just seeing even here in the preschools, that there's a big thing here locally, like preschool versus childcare, which to me, that's a ridiculous argument because early childhood care and education, you can't really separate the two care is education and education is care. But here it was like, oh, that's not a preschool. That's a childcare. And people would like look down upon the childcare facilities. And, um, but anyone that I went into, I think I could name like every like bad kid, quote unquote, in the classroom, because it's the kid's name you hear the most, um, as a parent at the elementary school, like just walking away from, you know, they would line up and gather outside walking away from that. I could tell you the name of every kid in every class who was that kid yeah. at eight 30 in the morning. Like they haven't <laughs> even started their day. Yeah. And uh. it's like so ingrained in the culture where it's really normalized. And it's like, you know, you coming in and being new in that space, it's so clear Mm -hmm. to you and then you know that the staff it's not like the staff want to treat the children like that right it's not but it's just the it's just normal right well when I would bring it to their attention and like bring the humanity back to it and be like you saw this happening and it didn't register as problematic to you and they were like Mm -hmm. oh yeah you're right that was not cool so like human to human they got it but like when you're looking human to a group of kids who seem, I don't know what they seem like, like they're going to overtake you. I don't know like what these people are afraid of, but you know, <clears throat> I heard this, a woman once, um, not a teacher, but an education professional in the school sy- system, um, say to me once she and I have been going at it all day talking about a five-year-old. <laughs> she was like a 65 year old. I'm guessing. I was just like, what really? Like that's problematic for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we know, and it's not all schools. It's not every teacher. There are really, really no. great individuals. I, I give people a lot of credit for doing the work of change from the inside. If you're able to do that, there are, I think 50 million kids in, in public schools in our country. It's yes. not just public schools either. It's private schools, charter schools, whatever schools, but the way we treat kids in this country is um, just awful, <laughs> really. Like, and once you start looking at it, um, you start seeing it. And so we'll have it, we'll have an episode. Um, Iris Chen will be joining us next week with an episode on childism and we'll dive in and start learning about what childism is. Cause I remember when I first heard that term, I really did roll my eyes at it and I'm sorry for people who are horrified by me for that, but like, I didn't think it was that real and now I can't unsee it. And it's so real. And it's like just today we were in a grocery store that had little mini grocery carts and I haven't brought my kids to the grocery store in probably three years. And so they're like, can we get a cart? I'm like, yeah, like here's some like basics to know about driving a grocery cart, like park it out of the way, you know, step aside, keep it moving, whatever, like the social norms of grocery cart etiquette. (laughs) And mostly because I know people get like 
snippy with kids who don't drive grocery carts well in the grocery store. But then you look around and there are adults who are just wandering or like slow walking, taking up the whole aisle who aren't abiding by the social norms of grocery cart etiquette. Nobody's yelling at them, Mm -hmm. but we feel like every adult in the room feels like it's their duty to yell at a kid who's not abiding by social norms. Whoa. Talk about tangents. (laughs) So yeah. Wait, did they get yelled at? They didn't get yelled at today, actually. Um, They followed the rules. They they were very efficient. (laughs) (laughs) No, there were some moments. There were a couple of like big spins and a big open space. And I think most people smiled and laughed at them, but no yelling. It was good. By me. They got yelled at by me. (laughs) (laughs) I was cool as a cucumber today, actually. In the grocery store, at least. But yeah, so I think um, that's our story of how we connected, how we decided to step out of line, why we needed to. I think at a certain point for a lot of us educators um, who have done this, it's not a choice at a certain point. Mm -hmm. You can't unsee it. And you can't continue to live it. And it's just, you know, like what we're doing to kids um, is, is really not okay. I mean, Maslow's before Bloom (laughs) was quoted to me recently, Maslow's hierarchy of needs before Bloom's taxonomy. Like, okay, but how are you actually living it? Because yeah, anyways, that's for another episode. (laughs) Now you guys know how Candace and Annie met and how we got started and how we stepped out of line and uh, found a way to really become part of the group who is creating a new system of learning for kids, a new system of existing, not just for kids, for families, for community. It, it's benefiting all of us. Um, even people without kids like are going to get the benefits of raising children with an awareness of the society around them in a different way than like go into this building and be quiet and stay there until three 30. Mm-hmm. All right. There you have it, everybody. We've stepped out of line. If you're tempted to, and you're curious about it, reach out to us on Instagram at living out of line. If you want to hear more about how we did it, if you're feeling hesitant, if you want to share your story with us about how you have done it, or maybe how you never were part of it, um, send us a message, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your story. We want to share your stories. We'll have you on as a guest if you're willing. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of Out of Line. Thank you. Bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.